This is Binghamton Now on News Radio 1290 WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. Another mild day for this time of year, but we do have some rain in the forecast. 70% chance of showers for today, but high temperatures into the upper 40s. And what could have made for a very long day for firefighters? The crews from close to a half dozen companies managed to contain a blaze at the New England Wood Pellet Factory at 1580 Airport Road in Deposit to just a small area of that sprawling facility. At about 2.55 a.m. today, Broome Emergency Services got a report that the facility that manufactures fuel for pellet stoves, barbecue grills, and other products from a blend of hardwood and softwood was on fire. According to Broome County Emergency Services Communications, the blaze was in the bag room, which they speculated was probably where the finished product of compressed, highly bonded wood products intended for burning would be stored in large quantities about a half hour after the initial Initial call, a second alarm was sounded, bringing additional fire units to the scene. The plant is situated just south of New York State Route 17, and there was a possibility of traffic impacted. But firefighters were able to quickly contain the blaze to just a single piece of equipment. There have been no reports of injuries. Firefighters from Deposit, Windsor, Hancock, Harpersville, and West Windsor all responded to the scene. The cause of that fire under investigation. One person is dead following a collision between a tractor trailer and a passenger van in Shenango County. New York State Police were called to the crash in the town of Columbus shortly after 11 a.m. on Monday and found that both vehicles had been traveling south on State Route 8 when the big rig was making a right turn onto County Route 25 and the van hit the rear of the trailer. A woman from Rome, New York, who was a passenger in the van, was pronounced dead at the scene. A man from Lee Center, New York, who was driving the van, was airlifted to Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse but did not appear to have life-threatening injuries. The driver of the tractor trailer was not hurt. He was identified only as a man from Sherburn, New York. None of the names of those involved have been released. The crash is still under investigation. Former Broome County District Attorney Stephen Cornwell is being ordered to pay $5,000 in fines after pleading guilty to felony grand larceny. The 49-year-old Cornwell admitted he stole property on March 22, 2019 that included records of Broome County District Attorney cases. In addition to the fine, Judge Donald Sirio sentenced Cornwell to a three-year conditional discharge. Cornwell's license to practice law in New York State will be revoked because of the felony conviction. Cornwell's administrative assistant, 37-year-old James Warhatch, has pleaded guilty to misdemeanor criminal possession of stolen property. He admitted possessing the contents of a criminal case file belonging to the district attorney's office on November 13, 2020. Warhatch was sentenced to a one-year conditional discharge. He still faces several felony counts related to a second indictment filed by a Broome County grand jury in 2021. and fraud charges against former New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin have been thrown out by a federal judge. That just leaves Benjamin to face only records falsification charges. The charges that were left intact alleged that Benjamin knowingly made a false entry in a record with the intent to impede an investigation. Each of those carries a potential maximum prison sentence of 20 years. Prosecutors almost immediately said they were planning an appeal. 
Benjamin, the Democrat, resigned after his arrest last April. He pleaded not guilty to the charges, accusing him of obtaining campaign contributions from a real estate developer in exchange for pushing a $50,000 state grant fund to a nonprofit organization the developer controlled. An Oigo teenager is charged with a felony for allegedly possessing child pornography. New York State Police say 19-year-old Aiden Wagner was arrested by the State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigation for felony possessing a sexual performance by a child. He was released in order to appear in a Wego Village court at a later date. This will be the first time since the program was started by Binghamton City School District Student Against Drunk Driving Chapter 29 years ago that a white light on the Katie Titus sad tree is being replaced with a red bulb. It marks a death due to drunk or distracted driving during the holiday season. The bulb notes the Thanksgiving morning death of 18-year-old Caden Abdullah in Vestal. The teen was a passenger in a car driven by a 17-year-old who is now facing a number of charges, including driving while ability impaired. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, 70% chance of showers today, a high in the upper 40s tonight, uh, 80% chance of showers and a low in the mid-40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 F. Bob Joseph live Tuesday morning at WNBF. Good morning. 607-772-1290 is the number. Bob at WNBF.com is the email address. In a crowded city I call my home. Undercover on the edge I'm Across at me with eyes that look but cannot see. Out of reach, out of love, stepping out of bounds. Don't worry, kiddos, the Constitution of the United States is safe. It's not going to be tossed out by any person. Including the Florida guy. <laughs> I think he does it just to uh, attempt to stay relevant when, in fact, I don't believe don't believe he's relevant these days. But anyway, it's always nice to see a <clears throat> good sideshow. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, probably shouldn't pay as much attention to these things as we do but sometimes sometimes it needs to be discussed it does need to be discussed even if it is disgusting let us uh, start our proceedings over on the west side binghamton binghamton ron you're on hey bob uh w- wanted to talk about SantaCon a little bit more uh, I did not realize, perhaps you have, I might be in the dark. Did you know that SantaCon New York City is happening in three days? Oh, I thought it's happening on Saturday. Uh, that would be, oh, let's see. It's four three days. days. 
It's oh, four days. They don't yeah. do it on Fridays. Or do they? Oh, Is it okay. now a two-day drunk fest? I mean, that would make sense because you can never drink enough just in 24 hours. So I could see them expanding it to two or three days. Yeah. But, yeah, it does. Uh, officially, it is Saturday, December 10th. Yeah, that's um, what I put in the article at WNBF.com. I think I oh, okay. think I made reference, let me see where, just so people would know. Yeah, the final sentence, well, wasn't the final sentence. Next to the last sentence, it says, Binghamton University students invite those who attend other SUNY schools to visit the local SantaCon to um, practice. It's generally held a week before a similar event in New York City. So basically, the Binghamton SantaCon is sort of, um, you know, the rehearsal for the Super Bowl of SantaCons, where if, if you survive the, the playoffs in Binghamton, you're allowed to go to the Super Bowl of SantaCons. More liquor, more weed, more drunken stumbling. And also, almost 200 miles from where I am. So, hey, I wish them great success in all their future stumbling. Yeah, you know, uh, the New York City uh, online promo refers to it as a charitable uh, convention. Uh, So I'm wondering, do you know in, in Binghamton what charity or charities are designated to receive some largesse from this uh, uh, bacchanalia that took place Saturday? Yeah, the downtown bars and uh, people who drive for Uber and similar services, they they clean up. Of course, the DPW also cleans up, but they have to do all that with uh, regular pay. So they don't, they don't make out. They still have to clean up the... You know, I... It it is to be fair one of Binghamton's most vomitous events. Yes, uh, I didn't say know, I, the most. I mean, it's it's hard to tell. You know, I'm going to do a top three called Binghamton's most vomitous events and SantaCon and the parade in March for some saint, and then of course the. Uh, grandfather of all vomitous events, the uh, the crub crub ball. Yeah, that's what we'll call it. The crub ball over in May, where they also try to drink as much as humanly possible without actually dying. Yeah, the uh, I'm trying to think of uh, who was the uh, the governor uh, that uh, said he would drink the uh, glass of. Uh, Hugh Hugh Leo Carey. He's the one who said he would come to Binghamton and walk in that building and drink an entire glass of PCBs and then run a mile afterwards. So, sadly, Hugh Carey is no longer with us, but I'm sure sure his spirit lingers. Hugh Carey also said, uh, when you're you're reminding me of vomitous events, and Hugh Carey said uh, in relating to St. Patrick's Day in New York City, he said they march up fifth and stumble down sixth. Um, but I was thinking also, you uh, since you detail it as a vomitous event, maybe we should have the city uh, fathers and mothers uh, provide uh, the old Roman 
situation. Oh, vomitorium? Yeah. That's possible. They could use it. I guess the the stadium isn't being used for anything in December. So, hey, I got to run. I got a got a guest. An early guest is uh, going to join us um, by special arrangement. But I appreciate your getting us off on a positive note. Okay, Bob. Thanks. Indeed, a very positive note. Nine sixteen at News Radio WNBF and WNBF.com. And we are joined by Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak. Good morning. Good morning, Bob. Um, that's a tough act to follow, that last interview with that caller, but I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. Did I see you and your wife over at SantaCon on Saturday night? Look, looked like you and your wife and your, your little doggy. No, I missed it this year. That wasn't me. Uh, maybe <laughs> somebody, it was just someone, someone somebody impersonating. Maybe, uh, somebody impersonating somebody. a prosecutor. Anyway, thank you for being with us. Uh, there was uh, a major development, uh, as we reported, in the uh, more than year-long case involving your predecessor, uh, Stephen Cornwell, and also uh, a man who served as... Um, his administrative assistant, James Warhatch. Uh, give us a little background about this case involving Mr. Cornwell, who you actually had worked for before you were elected Broome County District Attorney. Uh, tell us how, how we got to this point where uh, it culminated on Monday with uh, Mr. Cornwell and Mr. Uh, Warhatch entering pleas. What what uh, precipitated the investigation? I'll try and I'll try and maybe work backwards. Uh, yesterday in Broome County Court, before the Honorable uh, Donald Sirio, who was actually a Madison County judge, and he was sitting in Broome County uh, specifically for this case. Uh, former Broome County District Attorney Steve Cornwell pled guilty to one count of felony grand larceny, and that's related to the theft of county property and also falsification of and deletion of uh, DA computer files while he served as uh, district attorney. Uh, his assistant, Mr. Warhatch, pled guilty to one count of misdemeanor theft of county property as well. Um, DA records, too, while working under um, Mr. Cornwell. Now, just so I guess the public is, is aware, keeping of accurate records is vital to the DA's office and government offices for their operations. And the DA's office frequently refers to older completed case files and records uh, in order to factor that into future prosecutions and things of that nature. Um, again, it's not proper to delete them, to steal them, and or to hide them. Now, this was a long process. It started back in 2021. Uh, Broome County employees came to our office with some concerning information about missing records and missing files. Uh, so we did an internal investigation. Uh, the investigators who worked for the Broome County District Attorney's Office went through our records. Uh, we talked with... Um, the individuals that run our computer system out of Albany, the state prosecutors uh, training institute that uh, handles our computer records. A case was presented to a Broome County grand jury, and they voted to indict Mr. Cornwell and Mr. Warhatch on numerous charges of theft, forgery, and corruption. Now, Donald Sirio, the judge, appointed a special prosecutor to handle the case as myself and others in the uh, office were deemed to have been potential witnesses. The case was reviewed by these uh, district attorneys, and uh, the case moved forward through the courts. Now, we were out of it at that point. There was a team of prosecutors 
Joseph Fazari from Schuyler County oversaw the investigation and the prosecution. Uh, on his team were Phil Mueller, the uh, Schenectady County Chief Assistant for 26 years, who is now retired. Daniel Lennon, also from Schenectady County and ADA, and John Tunney, the former DA in Steuben County for 24 years. They all worked together on this uh, on this case, and it culminated in a guilty plea um, yesterday in county court. Mr. Cornwell admitted that in 2019, he stole several case files from Broome County Records, uh, including a very concerning case file, which was his case file of a 1995 conviction where he was convicted of DWI, resisting arrest and obstructing governmental administration. Now that was in a hard copy file in Broome County records uh, that was stolen by him. He also falsified information regarding this case in the DA computer case management system uh, in an effort to conceal his name and his case. Uh, so the hard copy of the file disappeared as well as any record of it from the uh, computer system. So a computer audit was done of Mr. Cornwell's activity, and that's really how the investigators pieced it together. You know, Mr. Warhatch pled guilty as well to possessing his stolen file from his prior DWI case in 2013. Now, these files are property of the district attorney's office and the county. They're not for personal use. Uh, they're official records made in the course of business at the DA's office. And it's obviously very important that uh, we keep accurate records, and just because you're working in the DA's office doesn't give you license to erase or tamper with any file, never mind your own criminal file. So that was really the way the investigation took place, and it ended yesterday with two guilty pleas. We're speaking with Broome County District Attorney Michael Korchak when the um, indictments were announced in July 2021. There was also um, allegations about misappropriation of thousands of dollars in government money. In fact, I believe you told us, without being very specific, uh, the amount of money involved was over $3,000. What happened to those allegations? Well, those charges are still pending against Mr. Warhatch. Uh, Judge Sirio dismissed those charges against Mr. Cornwell, stating that there was a ruling that there was no link specifically to Mr. Cornwell from the missing money. Uh, that indictment stands intact versus Mr. Warhatch, who uh, it regarded a DA checking account that was uh, active at that time. That case is still pending, so I really can't comment on that. And the special prosecutors are handling that case as well. We have no part in the prosecution of that case anymore. So Give me your your take on how this culminated, at least this part of uh, the case, following the long investigation and, and as you mentioned, the background. So the uh, both Stephen Cornwell and James Warhotch uh, entered pleas in Broome County Court on Monday morning. Um, your personal sense of, of how this part has wrapped up, including the, um, the sentences that also were um, uh, announced in conjunction with the uh, the police. That's right. Mr. Cornwell was sentenced to uh, a $5,000 fine and a three-year conditional discharge. Uh, in connection with having a felony conviction, he'll forfeit his license to practice law in the state of New York. Um, Mr. Warhatch is a, has a fine as well and a uh, conditional discharge, but he does face those additional charges, and uh, that's not over yet. Now, the unfortunate thing is, as I told everyone when I was elected district attorney, that 
I have to do what I've done for the last 20 plus years as a prosecutor, and that's prosecute fairly without favor or prejudice. And when corruption is found and can be proven, not just rumor, but it can actually be proven, it will be prosecuted as long as I'm DA. I really don't care who it is. No one is above the law. You can't have two sets of rules. And this was a very difficult prosecution. I mean, I worked with these individuals before, but, you know, doing the right thing isn't always easy. And I'll continue to do that as Broome County's DA. And to that point, seven years ago, uh, Stephen Cornwell was in this studio talking about you as his choice to be the Broome County Chief Assistant District Attorney. That was uh, just days after he had um, defeated the incumbent District Attorney Gerald Mullen uh, back in the 2015 election. So you you were his choice. I mean, this is this is one of the the more uh, intriguing and, if you will, even bizarre cases that I can recall in Broome County history, at least in recent memory. Well, I mean, it is very unfortunate, but uh, I came in as the chief trial prosecutor in the office. I prosecuted major level felony cases under Mr. Cornwell. I always appreciated that he gave me that opportunity to come back to the DA's office. But once he left for his, he had higher ambitions than to be district attorney of uh, Broome County. we had information brought to us, and we conducted a full-scale investigation. And as I said, you can't have two sets of rules for elected officials and non-elected officials. There are individuals out in the community who may have made mistakes in the past and had criminal records, and they would like them wiped clean from the DA computer system. But that's, but that's not possible. So, uh, again, if the law is violated, we prosecute it, and we really can't pick and choose who we prosecute. If the law is broken, uh, those individuals should be held accountable. Did James Warhatch wind up cooperating with uh, the investigation with the prosecutors? You would have to talk to them, but my understanding is the cases were handled separately. Anybody else under investigation in the district attorney's office at this time? Uh, Well, I can't comment on any potential pending investigations, uh, just like the, the police departments or local police agencies don't comment on pending investigations. And there are, there are investigations pending in all, all aspects of, uh, of the county. But uh, as I said, um, we're not permitted by law to comment on any pending investigations. One other thing, getting back to the, the case cases, although they're tied together involving uh, Stephen Cornwell and James Warhatch, at some points during this, I think after the indictments were announced, some people were suggesting that there was uh, political motivation behind uh, this. And and how do you respond to those who thought there was uh, any kind of uh, political uh, motive to um, the investigation, ultimately the prosecution of uh, Mr. Cornwell and Mr. Warhatch. Yeah, there is no political motivation behind any prosecution as long as I'm the district attorney. We look at the facts and the law, apply the facts to the law, and uh, it doesn't really matter who it is. Uh, that's why you have this, the statue on the top of the courthouse uh, with uh, this individual blindfolded who's holding the scales of justice. I mean, that's the way it's supposed to work, and that's the way I've always conducted myself as a prosecutor for going on 25 years now. One final personal question. You've known Steve Cornwell and Jim Warhatch for many years. Are you surprised? 
I'm disappointed that they were that they would do this, and it was a very uncomfortable position that I was in because I worked closely with both of them. Obviously, not very closely because I didn't know what they were doing at the time uh, that they were involved in this because I was prosecuting high-level felony cases. But uh, it's disappointing that uh, someone could ab- abuse their position, you know, and steal property or money from the taxpayers and delete or alter computer files. And, uh, you know, it's very, dis- it's very disappointing. But unfortunately, uh, in this day and age, things like this happen. And uh, we're going to move forward. And uh, we don't allow individuals to violate the law without being held accountable. That's just the way I am and the way I've, I've run the district attorney's office. Do you think they really believe they could get away with this? That I don't know. You'd have to ask them. I mean, we just did an internal investigation and followed the trail of evidence, and that's where it led. Have more safeguards or different procedures been implemented to try to protect records and uh, uh, not just uh, records of cases, but also uh, Room County property to try to ensure something like this won't happen again? Yes, we're taking steps to ensure that uh, that something like this won't happen again, and uh, hopefully it never will. Broom County District Attorney Michael Korchak, thanks for joining us this morning. Okay, thank you, Bob. Take care. Have a good day. You too. It's 929. I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Even though. Bob Joseph on the station that serves the nation and other slogans we could probably implement as well whatever whatever works right let's see um, New York Times never ceases to amaze uh, of course all the news you might expect on the front page of today's New York Times and then a story I had not expected to see on the front page. I did see it online on Monday, but I didn't really think it was going to make the front page of the Times. Hunting mushrooms in forests rife with mines from Ukraine, deep in a pine forest north of Kiev. A beautiful mushroom warmed its brown cap in the gentle autumn sun. It was an all but irresistible scene for Ukrainian mushroom hunters. But all around there was danger. Cut through the mossy forest floor were line after line of trenches from the battle for Kiev last winter and countless mines and unexploded projectiles. Weighing the risk of mines and the allure of their quarry, thousands of Ukrainians in the first mushroom season since the Russian invasion hunted for mushrooms. And... It uh, moves from there, the story by Maria Veronikova, reporting from Ukraine. Hunting mushrooms in forests rife with mines. I mean, it's, it's intriguing, and I, at some point, I'll 
certainly read the entire story, but uh, of all the stories that I expected on page one of the Times today, that was that was not one of them. That was um, great photos, though, by Brendan Hoffman for the New York Times. So people picking mushrooms in Ukraine. One guy picked 550 pounds of mushrooms this season, and uh, according to the photo caption, selling them supplements as shrinking teaching income. Another uh, photo shows an abandoned Russian camp in the forest in Ukraine where Yana and Dimitro were foraging for mushrooms. He said, I want to go back to a peaceful life. So that's... I enjoy stories like that, as they say. You would not necessarily expect that, and that's why the New York Times continues to be the best, the best newspaper on the planet. It's 9.35 at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Congratulations again to our friend Brian Fry from WSKG Public Media. His latest documentary, which we discussed at some length last Friday on this program, uh, was aired for the first time on WSKG television on Monday evening. And if you heard our conversation about the Salt Babies tragedy from March 1962, if you heard our discussion about that last uh, Friday, I, I hope I hope you had an opportunity to uh, see that entire hour-long documentary as it aired last night. Uh, I had viewed it previously. There was a screening at WSKG, and uh, as I indicated, when Brian Fry was here at the studio on Friday, I, I was very impressed. It was a story it's a story that needed to be told. I know I saw somebody let me uh, punch this up because it was on Twitter and I won't say I was shocked by the by the comment, I guess I guess disappointed. Disappointed might be the word if I can find if I can find the, uh, the person's comment, because I tweeted about it last night, so in case people had forgotten that it was coming up, I um, posted a, a tweet to let people know it was coming up uh, last night on TV, so you could watch it if you wanted to. And then a guy tweeted, digging up old, sorrowful events, desperate journalism. And of course... I just shook my head. You know, actually, Brian Fry addressed that and you know, the reasons for telling the story. But this guy on Twitter I called it desperate journalism. No, important journalism. As I replied to the guy who was criticizing WSKG for, in his words, digging up old sorrowful events and uh, trashing it as desperate journalism... 
I responded on Twitter, lessons from six decades ago that need to be remembered. This is part of the history of Binghamton, and we shall not forget. And we should not forget. It's painful. And if you watch the documentary on WSKG, I'm sure you felt the pain. And you may have felt anger and other emotions. It's part of our history. We have other things that are part of Binghamton's history that we need to remember. And if I do a story about it, or Brian Fry or anybody else around here does a story about some painful aspects of history in the Binghamton area, it's not digging up these old sorrowful events. It's important not to forget what's happened here, so hopefully things won't be repeated. There were some simple mistakes that occurred at Binghamton General Hospital in March 1962, and ultimately several babies died, and several others were in really bad shape for a while. So it's important not only for the people of Binghamton, I think it's important for the health profession, and probably important for people in any profession to see how a simple mistake can have tragic consequences. So it's not desperate journalism. This might be some of the most important journalism. And as Brian Fry discussed in his um, conversation on our Friday program, he spent a long, long time and tried to handle this as delicately as possible. So I commend Brian Fry, and for the uh, naysayers, the nattering nabobs who don't appreciate good journalism, well, you have many other choices in 2022. You can support those choices if those are more to your liking. It's 940 at WNBF with Bob Joseph. We're joined now by Karen Sweet O'Neill. Hi, Hi. Where are, are you out directing traffic on the parkway? Be careful. Yeah, I was trying to put it back into my earrings. Okay. <laughs> well, I like my vision first. You know, it's a, look, Karen Sweet O'Neill is directing traffic. She's directing eastbound traffic on the parkway for some reason because we're giving out free 10 pound candy bars. But uh, that's not the case. It was just, um, oh. as they say, as they say on TV, an earring malfunction. That's right. That's right. I was in the process. So, yeah. So what are we going to talk about tomorrow? We're going to talk about, and I Yogi Baird an article from The Motley Fool. I like The Motley Fool. And uh, it was money-saving year-end moves, and it's excellent. We talked a little bit about this last week, just gathering paperwork and whatnot so that you have, you know, you, you have all your resources there as far as, your annual statements and any kind of correspondence that any insurance companies gave you or the banks and so on and so forth. This is more focused on the money-saving year-end moves. So we're going to talk about tax cuts and jobs act of 2017. We're going to talk about if you've sold some stocks and have substantial gains and there's also some losers in your portfolio, why would you consider selling them before December 31st? And, of course, if you haven't contributed to your tax-advantaged retirement accounts, if you're so lucky as to have a 401k, 
you really want to do that. And, of course, IRAs and the deadlines for those because they're not all at the end of the year. Last but not least, FSAs, flexible spending accounts, Bob. That's a use it or lose it. So if you don't use the money in your FSA by the end of the year, you will lose the money normally depending on the corporation or company that you work for. So we're going to talk about all those things tomorrow, and we are up on the parkway, 1708 Vestal Parkway East. We are above Plato's Closet, Dial Encore. You can reach us at 607-772-4898. You can Google us at KSO Insurance. All our contact information comes up, or you can simply go to a phone book, and we have a big display ad under insurance in the yellow pages. Karen Sweet O'Neill, I look forward to speaking with you tomorrow morning right here on News Radio WNBF. I hope you have a great day. I hope you do too. Thanks, Bob. Thank you. 943, it's Bob Joseph Live, 607 772 1290. If you did view the Salt Babies documentary on WSKG and have some thoughts, feel free to call us. If you witnessed, the 2022 edition of SantaCon in Binghamton. Call in and share your thoughts. Maybe you can offer ideas about how we can make it bigger and better in 2023. 607-772-1290 is the number. The email address is bob at wnbf.com. This is News Radio, WNBF, 921 FM, 1290 AM, and always available on the free WNBF app. When I Forty-five. Good morning. You're listening to News Radio WNBF ninety-two-one FM, twelve ninety AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Back to the phones we go. Good morning, WNBF. You're on the air. What's your first name and where are you calling from? Good morning, Bob. It's Gary from the West Side. I'd like to talk about the Idaho murders, but I do want to relate a story about SantaCon, if I may. Uh, so yesterday I was at a uh, restaurant in downtown Binghamton. Uh, most restaurants aren't open on Mondays, but this one happens to be open on Monday. Anyway, the uh, when we were there, we were talking with the guy and uh, how SantaCon went. And he was explaining to us that, you know, while it is a boon for the restaurant, it's also quite the pain in the butt. Uh, he was stating how, you know, most of the people that are in there are highly intoxicated. Uh, they pass out at the table while they're eating. Uh their friends on the street see them in there and they all come in with their drinks in hand and they're hanging around the table talking to their friends, which is not allowed. They're asked to leave. They don't want to leave all of that stuff. Then there's always the ones that they just get up and leave without paying and uh, they got to go chase them down. 
So while it is a boon for the business, it's also a problem for some of the businesses down there, too. And that was just his stories that he was relating to us. Oh, yeah. It's uh, the hotels downtown did some good business because, uh, thoughtfully, some of the uh, uh, SantaCon drunken participants uh, planned ahead. So uh, after they had as much as they could drink, they could stumble to the hotel and stay there for the night if they could find the hotel. One of the things that I noticed, because I attended an event at a downtown Binghamton hotel, is uh, with a lot of the uh, drunken SantaCon participants swirling around and and stumbling around uh, throughout the hotel on the ground floor in the lobby. Uh, the place uh, reeked with um, the fragrant smell of weed. And uh, it's just, there, there must be a lot of people who go to uh, hotels in downtown Binghamton who don't want to be subjected to the wonderful smell of weed at the place where they're staying. So I thought that was a nice touch. Yeah. I mean, and, and drunken, you know, look, if, if people want to get drunk, I say stay at your frat house or brat house or whatever and get drunk there just stay there and don't go out and subject the rest of us to your drunken antics i agree no denial there yeah. i know bob that you don't you know you don't like the smell of marijuana and you've stated that numerous times and i was thinking boy i bet bob wouldn't have liked to have grown up in the 1900s around binghamton either because all you'd smell is cigars Right? I mean, yeah, I don't. Here, here's the thing. I don't. I don't want to smell anything burning. A tobacco, <laughs> weed, firewood. You don't like. Oh, come on. You don't like a, a incense. No. Oh. Well, okay. There's come there's on. the one exception. I don't mind. Be honest with you. During the the summer and and autumn, sitting around a fire. I'm not a big yeah. fan of smoke, but that's that's an exception. By the way, I can control that. So, say if the wind suddenly takes a turn and starts blowing smoke from a little outdoor fire when you're having a uh, conversation about the issues of the world with your friends, you can always move to the other side where the smoke's not not really that noticeable. But as far as people treating me to whatever smoke they're enjoying, I don't want it. It's just like this. it's the same thing as I don't want to hear loud music when I'm in downtown Binghamton or anywhere else. If you want to listen to loud music, use your earbuds or whatever you use and and crank up your music until your eardrums bust. But I, I shouldn't be subjected to your music or your smoke. I concur with those statements. Thank you for DA, the DA coming on, Korchak, and explaining the situation. You know, I mean, he explained that I understood what was going on there, and it was just, the, you know, this is the type of reporting that makes, you know, your radio station number one in my books. Well, that you know, was... really explained what I, was going on. Yeah, I mean, because throughout the process, most people had little idea what specifically was going on. We learned of the yeah. indictment of in July of last year, and is is typically the case, no matter what the allegations are. Uh, prosecutors and investigators uh, typically divulge very little until the the case ultimately is adjudicated. And and now, 
see, this is good because he could have just said, hey, the uh, special prosecutor from Schuyler County, or whatever county he's from, uh, put out the, um, the news release, and the news release stands, and I'm not going to give any more context or explanation. So now this puts it into some context. Now, in, oh, yeah. fa- in oh, fairness... In fairness to both Stephen Cornwell and James Warhotch, if they have any desire, whether it's today or at any point in the future, to talk about this, I mean, I I am very uh, saddened. It's not like I hung out with either Mr. Cornwell or Mr. Warhotch, but I certainly had uh, professional dealings with each as a reporter, and I'm saddened for what's transpired. For, for them personally and professionally. And and therefore, if there comes a time where they believe for any reason it's appropriate to talk about what's happened, I mean, this program is a venue. I mean, I, I'm not here. I'm not here to pile on to anybody when they encounter problems, whether some people th- don't believe that or not. But I, I actually think sometimes, under certain circumstances and at the right uh, the right point. Sometimes it could be helpful or even cathartic to, to talk about things that happened and sometimes mistakes that were made. Yeah, good point. You know, there's these murders out in Idaho. I don't know. I'm sure you've been following them, Bob. You know, it's a cold case. They haven't, uh, four people killed college students and, you know, they don't have a suspect. And I'm not going to get into the, all of the details of the case. I'm sure you're aware of that case, correct? I am. So lately, this frustration, as I imagine, happens in cold cases that the parents, you know, so they take it upon themselves now to speak with the media, you know, ask for help, and just getting the word out there that, you know, they need uh, people's help in finding the killer. I mean, uh, a few of the parents have gone on TV and uh, to try to get help in the case. As opposed to the cold case that is in Binghamton with Eliza Spencer, we have never heard anything from the father or the mother about, let's try to find a killer. Let's try, you know, we need your help. None of that. Uh, you know, there there is a small faction, and I don't know, you know, that that are uh, probably friends or maybe family members. I don't know. But the friends, at least, you know, they try to make an effort. But it, it, it's a glaring thing in my eyes, Bob, that Eliza Spence's parents don't come out and ask for help. I, I don't know why they don't why they wouldn't want help in trying to find the murderer of their young child. It just, it doesn't make sense to me. And, you know, and me just being someone who might say, well, you know, then you take a look at them, right? Which might not be fair, but that's the way my mind goes. When someone, I don't know how long it's been now. How long has it been, Bob? You might, how many months has it been? Jeez, it's been I mean, seven and a half months. Wow! It happened on uh, April twenty-first. Today is December sixth. Oh you know, it's so we're so we're approaching really eight months. It happens in spring, and we've gone 
through the second half of spring. We've gone through summer. We're almost through with autumn, and soon it'll be winter. So here in Idaho, you know, after four weeks, the parents are so frustrated because nothing's going on. They're out, you know, they're out there talking to the media now, News Nation or whoever they speak to. And, you know, I don't understand why Eliza Spencer's parents don't come out and ask for help if they really want help. They may have very good reasons. They they could be still emotionally distraught. They may have been advised by the police investigators not to. They may know a lot more about what happened that night. In fact, I'd be surprised if they didn't know a lot more of what happened at around 10 o'clock on Thursday, April 21st, 2022, than has been publicly reported. And so, therefore, the police may have... I mean, the police can't order you not to talk, but they can strongly urge you not to talk. And also, given the nature of the case, if I was um, involved in any way, I would be uh, consulting with an attorney anyway, even if you're not under suspicion. And any attorney will advise his or her client not to talk to the media generally about anything, even if you're not actually suspected of doing anything wrong. Appreciate your call, Gary. We just don't know. We don't know what we don't know about that investigation. This is Bob Joseph on WNBF. For Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. First, we decide where we want to go. Then we need to know the best way to get there. Hi, my name's Adam Barada. I'm the owner of Advantage Gold. We're the highest rated precious metals firm in the country. We teach people how to own physical gold and silver. Now, we've won the Best of TrustLink Award four years in a row because we educate our clients on how to buy gold and silver the right way. We don't pay celebrity spokespeople millions of dollars. We'd rather pass that value on to you. Call 800-900-8000 and speak with one of our experts. We'll send you a free gold kit along with my latest number one national best-selling book, The Great Devaluation. Call 800-900-8000. That's 800-900-8000. Get the best information, the best process, the best service, the best value. Call Advantage Gold at 800-900-8000. Call 800-900-8000. Advantage Gold is not an investment advisor or a tax advisor. Consult with your financial advisor before investing. Great rate. I love that option. Saving money, that's what it's all about. So we bundle our home and our car. So for surprisingly great rates, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Call or go to statefarm.com for a quote today. I'm Bob Joseph, live on WNBF Binghamton. It's 10 o'clock. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. Another mild day for this time of year, but we do have some rain in the forecast. 70% chance of showers for today, but high temperatures into the upper 40s. And what could have made for a very long day for firefighters? The crews from close to a half dozen companies managed to contain a blaze at the New England Wood Pellet Factory at 1580 Airport Road in Deposit to just a small area of that sprawling facility. 
At about 2.55 a.m. today, Broom Emergency Services got a report that the facility that manufactures fuel for pellet stoves, barbecue grills, and other products from a blend of hardwood and softwood was on fire. According to Broom County Emergency Services Communications, the blaze was in the bag room, which they speculated was probably where the finished product of compressed, highly bonded wood products intended for burning would be stored in large quantities. About a half hour after the initial call, a second alarm was sounded, bringing additional fire units to the scene. The plant is situated just south of New York State Route 17, and there was a possibility of traffic impacted, but firefighters were able to quickly contain the blaze to just a single piece of equipment. There have been no reports of injuries. Firefighters from Deposit, Windsor, Hancock, Harpersville, and West Windsor all responded to the scene. The cause of that fire under investigation. One person is dead following a collision between a tractor trailer and a passenger van in Shenango County. New York State Police were called to the crash in the town of Columbus shortly after 11 a.m. on Monday and found that both vehicles had been traveling south on State Route 8 when the big rig was making a right turn onto County Route 25 and the van hit the rear of the trailer. A woman from Rome, New York, who was a passenger in the van, was pronounced dead at the scene. A man from Lee Center, New York, who was driving the van, was airlifted to Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse but did not appear appear to have life-threatening injuries. The driver of the tractor-trailer was not hurt. He was identified only as a man from Sherburn, New York. None of the names of those involved have been released. The crash is still under investigation. Former Broome County District Attorney Stephen Cornwell is being ordered to pay $5,000 in fines after pleading guilty to felony grand larceny. The 49-year-old Cornwell admitted he stole property on March 22, 2019 that included records of Broome County District Attorney cases. In addition to the fine, Judge Donald Sirio sentenced Cornwell to a three-year conditional discharge. Cornwell's license to practice law in New York State will be revoked because of the felony conviction. Cornwell's administrative assistant, 37-year-old James Warhatch, has pleaded guilty to misdemeanor criminal possession of stolen property. He admitted possessing the contents of a criminal case file belonging to the district attorney's office on November 13, 2020. Warhatch was sentenced to a one-year conditional discharge. He still faces several felony counts related to a second indictment filed by a Broome County grand jury in 2021. Bribery and fraud charges against former New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin have been thrown out by a federal judge. That just leaves Benjamin to face only records falsification charges. The charges that were left intact alleged that Benjamin knowingly made a false entry in a record with the intent to impede an investigation. Each of those carries a potential maximum prison sentence of 20 years. Prosecutors almost immediately said they were planning an appeal. Benjamin, the Democrat, resigned after his arrest last April. He pleaded not guilty to the charges, accusing him of obtaining campaign contributions from a real estate developer in exchange for pushing a $50,000 state grant fund to a nonprofit organization the developer controlled. An Owego teenager is charged with a felony for allegedly possessing child pornography. New York State Police say 19-year-old Aiden Wagner was arrested by the State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigation for felony possessing a sexual performance by a child. Child. He was released in order to appear in a Wego Village court at a later date. This will be the first time since the program was started by Binghamton City School District Student Against Drunk Driving Chapter 29 years ago that a white light on the Katy Titus sand tree is being replaced with a red bulb. It marks a death due to drunk or distracted driving during the holiday season. The bulb notes the Thanksgiving morning death of 18-year-old Caden Abdullah in Vestal. The teen was a passenger in a car driven by a 17-year-old who 
is now facing a number of charges, including driving while ability impaired. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, 70% chance of showers today, a high in the upper 40s tonight, uh, 80% chance of showers and a low in the mid-40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio, 1290 WMBF, WMBF.com and 92.1 FM. Morning. It's Tuesday. Bob Joseph live on News Radio WNBF. It was a beautiful day. Sun beat down. I had the radio on. I was driving. Trees went by. Me and Dell were singing. One hundred nineteen miles per hour. Yes, one hundred nineteen miles an hour. They said six zero seven 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 two twelve ninety is the number. If you're running down the expressway towards Shimong County, 607-772-1290. Please use your hands-off device. Please don't put your hands on your device while you're running down your dream. If you uh, would like, you can call us on, or rather, you can email us on um, the Internet, wnbf.com. Yeah, good luck. Good luck emailing us on the internet. Um, Jesse from Owego wrote, Bad behavior. Last I remember, if someone was convicted of bad behavior, you no longer welcome them on your show, let alone let them explain what they did. What if I was convicted of a crime? Would you allow me to be on the airwaves asking for a friend? You're right, Jesse. If you're convicted of a crime, you'll never be back on the program. Ha! <laughs> ha! <laughs> Here's uh, a note from a fan. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Binghamton now. Good morning, Bob. Schedule doesn't allow me much time to listen to your show after a short segment yesterday, apparently not missing much. Oh, that. Thanks, Mike from Binghamton. Um, thank you for not listening. <laughs> Be more like Matt Taibbi. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do, Mike from Binghamton. Yeah. Like, please, don't listen to the program anymore. If you can't handle the truth, don't listen. There are many other programs, including several on this radio station, that certainly will speak to you with your uh, your particular worldview. So, yes, you're not missing much when you don't listen. 
But everybody else who's listening knows they listen every day. And it's a habit because they don't want to miss much. But again, Michael, don't listen. Don't listen. I, I see what you want, and trust me, that same type of program is available in thousands of other venues. That's what you don't want in this program like this. And in fairness, if, if it's something that's not palatable to you, please don't, don't trouble yourself with the truth. It's 10.13 also. Uh, Richard from Binghamton Southside. This is interesting, and because we no longer have an effective journalistic infrastructure in Binghamton, it's a story that's received scant attention, if any. I would encourage... I would encourage, even at this late time, uh, assignment editors or anybody in the what's left of the smoldering Binghamton journalistic infrastructure to try to cover this story, better late than never. Binghamton City Council redistricting. A public hearing will be held tomorrow evening at City Hall on proposed redistricting of the city's seven council districts. The boundaries agreed to will impact us for the next 10 years. I think it would be good to have a knowledgeable person from each party discuss this on your show today and or tomorrow. And Richard says, of course, the decision is mine to make. Well, maybe I will have someone on tomorrow. I have talked with a couple of people about this, and I really actually had expected to have someone discussing the city council redistricting on the program by now. It really surprises me that Democrats and Republicans in Binghamton have basically done little in terms of talking publicly about the, the new district boundaries. Oh, trust me, some people aren't going to like the changes that will be made. I guarantee it. But, again, because this is the type of complicated story that requires um, more of an effort, it just hasn't re received much, if any, coverage. I don't know. Maybe some people are covering it, and I've just missed it. Has it been in the newspaper? This is the exact type of story, because of the very nature of it, that's perfect for the newspaper. And I don't think I've seen any coverage about the city council redistricting. Now, public hearing is set for tomorrow night. And I believe, technically, city council could vote on the new districts as they've been proposed. Now, I'm under the impression they won't vote tomorrow night. They will hold the public hearing, but I believe they plan to vote on the new city council district map on December 21st. So we still have time to have some people on the program. If you've been following this, and if you've been following this uh, at all, I think you should call in. And I'm sure some people in Binghamton have been following it, but really the it's not something that I've seen in the news, but maybe I've just been looking in the wrong... I, I probably missed it. So, anyway, thank you, Richard. Yeah, I'll try to get at least somebody on maybe tomorrow to talk about 
the district lines. Because I, I can tell you, more than a few people are going to be dissatisfied with the way the lines ultimately are drawn. A ten seventeen. by the way, coming up next hour, about an hour from now, our gas buddy will be on. Patrick DeHaan will be on to tell me how low the gas prices will go. So as the gas prices continue to plunge, you'll be able to say, Bob did that. Let's go back to the phones now. Dave from Vestal, good morning. Hey, a good rainy morning there, Bob. Hey, you know, something I find intriguing, you know, I was listening to Dr. Baden uh, regarding the, the Idaho case oh, within the last week, and, and it struck me when he said that 50%, Bob, 50% of murder cases in our country go unsolved. So, you know, I was listening to you guys this morning, and I'm thinking, well, Bob, 100 years ago, what does that mean? Did, was there like 10% solved back then? I mean, I mean, you would think with today's, you know, technology, all the forensics and everything we have, you would think the percentage would be higher solved than that, wouldn't you? Why is Michael Bodden talking about the Idaho case? Was he, was he somehow implicated? Well, no, he wasn't implicated, but... Um, he was he was advising, I guess. He had something to do because you know advising when, who who is who is he advising? That's the first they time were talking to. They were talking to him about the case because all the blood, all this, all that. The he cops have the investigators yeah. have been talking. Oh, yeah. oh okay. I yeah. I wasn't yeah. paying yeah. attention to that. I all I know is Michael Bodden seems to turn up whenever whenever there's uh, a media spotlight. He, he reminds yeah. me in some ways like Chuck Schumer, except he nobody elected him. Right, right. But, and I know he always seems to be around. But, they, yeah, they, they are using him right now. And back to the question, though, don't you think that's kind of high, 50%? I mean, can you really flip a coin and your chances of getting away with murder is dependent on which way the coin lands? Depends where you are. Dep depends what kind of killing it is. There are a lot of, a lot of variables. I don't, I don't know. It's the first time I've heard that figure. I, I can't corroborate that. He said that. He said 50%. Yeah, he said that. Yeah, well. He said 50%. He said 50% of the... Uh, because they were talking about... People were complaining about, you know, like we're doing what happened locally here. People are complaining because we can't seem to find who did it. We want justice. We want it quickly. You know, we want everything yesterday. That's how it is. But, um, yeah. Fifty percent, Bob. And I'm thinking back. Gee, a hundred years ago, it must have been easy to get away with murder then. Well, I don't believe the number. I mean, maybe it's true, but just because Michael Biden said it, to me, it sounds it sounds exaggerated. But he's Michael Biden, so you know, he's a, he's a media sweetheart, just like Chuck Schumer. So, what can you do? Yeah, he is. He, yeah, you he know, is. the uh, if if Michael Biden is uh, a big know-it-all. I, I, he, of course, knows more about um, criminal investigations and homicide cases than I'll ever know, so I, I can't really criticize him in that respect. I mean, yeah, I, I just doubt what he says, but, you know, maybe, maybe I'll find a, a story. Where did he actually say that? What, uh, what venue? So I can look this up. 
They were discussing uh, it on Fox News. It when? Was, uh, I, I'm trying to remember, Bob. It was in this past week. It was like within the last probably five to six days, I'm guessing, when I saw that on there. But it reminded you guys reminded me of it when you were talking, when Gary called in. You guys were talking about uh, the homicide and... Uh, I remember him saying that, and I always saw fifty percent. Boy, that that seems high, doesn't it? Yeah, and I don't. I'm doing a quick, a quick search. I don't see on the internet where he said that, but yeah, so I don't did. know if. Uh, well, again, I I'm just saying I don't see where he said it. I'm sure it's somewhere on the internet, but it's not showing up on a quick Google search. But you oh. know, he's he's welcome to offer his insights if dr michael bodden wants to call in and explain to me where he got that number from i i find i find it improbable because i've i've covered homicide investigations around here and followed a lot of homicide investigations in new york and pennsylvania and elsewhere over the years for the life of me there must have been some other thing he said um, maybe, and again, I'm just speculating since I didn't hear him, and you can't tell me where I can hear the clip. So right. um, I would say maybe he said something along the lines, yeah, if um, if an arrest hasn't been made within 48 hours or 72 hours, then uh, 50% of those cases don't get solved. But just to say, just to say, 50% of the homicide cases in the United States don't result in a conviction. I, I find that to be improbable, but hey, yeah. you know, this is, a great, this is a great country, so anything's possible. All right, well, I just wanted to get your opinion on that, because it seemed high to me. And, and that was a direct quote. He did, because people that were talking with him were expressing uh, frustration, as we all do, that they did not seem to get be getting anywhere with the investigation. He says, now, you got to remember, he goes, 50%, 50% of the murders in this country go unsolved. That's exactly what he said. Well, yeah. and, and was he challenged? Did the interviewer no, say, no, where, where, did, where do you come up with that, dude? Not at all. Not at all. Well, nobody, then, nobody said a word. Yeah. Who, who was the uh, host of the program? Janine? Uh, uh, no, it wasn't Janine. I believe it was, uh, was it Martha McCallum? Or, uh, it might have been Martha. I you know, in this particular case, I, I would say in this particular case, on, on, with that guest making a statement like that, I really yeah. wish Janine Puro had been the host because as a former district attorney in Westchester County, she would have been well positioned to say, Dr. Bodden, where do you come up with that figure? Because as as a former uh, Westchester prosecutor, Janine Puro would have a pretty good idea if half the murder cases in this country don't get solved. No, if they wanted to just talk about drive-by shootings and shootings or murders done with guns i believe that probably even higher they're going so well well you you know well okay well maybe maybe taken in in their totality if you talk about uh gang killings in places like chicago and mm-hmm. New York mm-hmm. City and Miami and Los Angeles. Maybe if you include those, I, I'm I'm looking more at cases around here, uh, 
clearly around here, um, a very high percentage of homicide cases are solved or appear to be solved and result in a conviction. So anyway, see what the other listeners have to say. It's 1025 at WNBF. Matt from Binghamton. Good morning. Um, yes. Good morning. How are you? Good. Um, actually, if you do a quick search of what what person I just did it after he said that, because it did seem high to me. Uh, it is. The FBI says it's a little over 50%. Really? Okay. Do it on a year, do it on a yearly basis. Hmm. Uh, and, but then there's an article right after that by six reasons, six uh, reasons why the murder rates uh, are, have back, it turns out back in the 60s, you know, he's saying it seems like long ago it would have been better. Back in the 60s, the rate was solved was 90%, believe it or not. So, according to the little research I did on it. But there's all sorts, like you said, there's all sorts of factors uh, about it. Sometimes they don't even, you know, if somebody is accused of a murder, they might be an old case. They are, um, but it's all done by what, who's, uh, what murders they're looking at within a, a year. And some of those might be people that are in jail in another state, so they don't necessarily there for life and they deciding whether or not they're going to prosecute them or not. So there's, there's all sorts of uh, nuances, I think. And all right. Well, well, it's interesting to me now that I do a further search instead of just looking specifically at what Dr. Baden said, but doing a more generalized search, I do see some articles that um, appear to bear that out. So it's, it's news to me. They do that do that search but what's the uh you know what i punched in was uh you know how many what's the rate of solving murders in the united states right. states and that that came up and then below it is a pretty interesting article that appeared in the atlantic about the six you know why that why it's uh, the percentage rate is going down so yeah, yeah no, so, i stand know, i stand corrected because now i see uh from earlier this year there in fact were um several articles about this very topic including from some news organizations that i deem as reputable even cbs news you know although dan rather's no longer there but uh, a, a june story from cbs news said a coin flip nearly half of u.s murders go unsolved as cases rise and and actually i do think one of the one of the factors of course as as many people have heard during the uh, pandemic 2020 and 2021 there were more homicides in this country than right. say in the the years right before the pandemic and yeah, and looking going, at the going back down now thank god yeah and and so you know maybe that was uh, a a bit of an aberration again um if you look One at thing i would like to point point out though uh, that's related to this i think is that if you if you're um, you know, talking about police very rarely uh, stop a homicide. Um, and so basically, you know, the whole question becomes uh, what, do you, what do you do in your society to make homicides less? You know, you got to look at all the categories. A lot of them are because of access to guns. Uh, a lot of them are because of crimes of passion. Uh, but there's a lot that are, you know, street crimes and stuff like that and those 
seem to be the ones that get the most attention and, and criticism. Police, you know, it's just not, an, you couldn't put enough police out there. Somebody's not going to shoot somebody with a policeman standing there. <laughs> well, so not... Basically, not typically, but it but right. it is true. I mean, uh, you know, people would would say, oh, well, say earlier this year, a uh, um, man was killed in the parking lot of an apartment house complex on Floral Avenue near the Johnson City Line, just inside Binghamton. And I'm convinced there's nothing Binghamton police could have done about it. They didn't know uh, right. that allegedly people, a group of guys, I think three guys drove up, they say, from North Carolina specifically um, to target the man who was killed and then attempted to drive back to uh, North Carolina or wherever they came from. Unfortunately, because of heroic police action, I won't go into any further de- Well, okay, I'll say this. Because of the bravery and heroic police action of a Pennsylvania state trooper who spotted the vehicle right. uh, in, in yeah, Susquehanna yeah. County, he pulled him over. This is, I, I heard the story that day and even talked with um, Police Chief Joseph Zakuski about it shortly after it happened on that day earlier this year. And I was shocked that a single Pennsylvania state trooper by himself pulled over that vehicle um i think around great bend or something and and uh, took three people into custody who were in that car just based on the a quick dissemination of a suspect vehicle i mean that's i i commend i commend the activity of uh, uh you know the the bravery of that state trooper for pulling him over i've i've told people familiar with that case if it was me i would have radioed down to um, state police in scranton and say i think i cited the suspect vehicle in that binghamton homicide case uh, heading south on i-81 why don't you uh, set up a roadblock down there near clark summit okay that's what right. I probably because well you know me. <laughs> you well, like everybody see, knows me. Well, you like, like to see traffic stop. I know. Well, that's no, anyway. it. Yeah. So, but no, anyway, but, uh, again, um, with yeah, every case is unique, and of course, circumstances. You know, I, but, but a lot of but a lot of my guess is a lot. I pay attention. To, I, I haven't done a lot of research on it, but a lot of. Um, you know, young people have gotten involved in committing crimes with guns. So that tells you, and most of them, I would guess, are people who don't have much of a home life, don't have much of a family life, don't have probably two parents in the situation, and they come from poverty. And and so if you're gonna, if you really care about stopping violent crime, you don't, uh, uh, you know, you, you make sure you, there's a lot of youth services, thing, places that youth can go if they don't have a good place to go home to after school, all these kinds of things that teach them that the community cares about them and cares about their future. Because, you know, there's all sorts of things about people who have gotten involved in the criminal justice system and they do, and they write about themselves later on when they realize how how horrible their lives were. And they it was just like, you know, to be a drug dealer on the streets was just what happened. To be uh, involved in a gang was what just happened because there was nothing else. And so if we really want to change how people, uh, you know, how our society, you know, first of all, have the will to get 
get rid of some of the guns, uh, the proliferation of guns in this country, like no other country in the world. People even here get mad, got mad at me when I talked about getting rid of illegal guns. <laughs> People criticized me, and it's just like, come on, you want you're going to chastise me for wanting to get illegal guns off the streets? Well, because just because it's it's scary, they think that's a slippery slope. If right, even right. if you qualify it by and illegal then guns, the people, then those are the same people that uh, say, "Oh, the Republicans are the only ones that care about crime." That's a bunch of bull. The Republicans are the ones that are yelling about get illegal handguns off. They they won't say a word about it. Well, so, I mean, but they have to think about the sense of sensibilities of their constituents or the people who support yeah, them. That's, and, a, that's a great way to. That's a great way to govern. And that's I didn't say it's a great way to govern. It's the great way to try to get elected. You know, right. you well, know what yeah. has to be done, whether it's Democrats or Republicans. I mean, Democrats also are very careful when they discuss certain issues for fear of um, offending some of their core, their core supporters. And, and, I mean, I get it. I get it. Yeah, I, guess, you know, I, I don't agree with that because back in the, if you look at, Bill Clinton's an example. He's the one that ended welfare as we know it, and he got elected. He took on welfare reform and 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 took a lot of people off of welfare, and he got elected. So, you know, I just don't I just don't agree with it. I think it's not an even field. Well, I'm not saying it's an, I, I'm not saying both parties do it equally. I'm saying both parties do it to a degree. I'm not I'm not assessing whether Republicans are are more afraid of talking out uh, speaking out about certain issues than than democrats but both parties let's put it this way both parties uh tiptoe around some issues i'm not saying some parties don't ultimately um wind up taking some positive action on some s sensitive issues but they're very careful with how the, the way they go about it well i would still argue that uh, you know uh that a certain party has, they don't say anything about anything. They won't say anything about a guy who says, uh, uh, you know. Well, well, what about the Constitution? The, the, guy, Constitution? the guy who wants to throw out the Constitution? Exactly. I mean, come on, man. What what kind of an American would, would sit down? I don't care what your party affiliation. I would think every American, even most Florida guys, would say, hey, you. Stop talking about throwing out the Constitution. Talk about, keep talking, if you must, about losing the 2020 election. We know you lost. Keep talking about it, if you must. If you must be a sore loser, talk about that. But for heaven's sake, don't talk about throwing out the Constitution. That's what I say. But anyway, former Binghamton mayor, Matthew Ryan, that's Matt from Binghamton, on News Radio, WNBF, WNBF.com. Yeah, it is perplexing, truly perplexing, why uh, we don't have 100% of every adult in this country calling him out on that. Throw out the Constitution. Even Mark Levin, even Mark Levin or maybe especially Mark Levin, who claims to be a constitutional effort, would have to agree a statement like that cannot be condoned.
Bob Joseph live at 1037 at News Radio WNBF. If you want to call in and offer your thoughts, the number is 607-772-1290. Remember, every weekday morning from 6 to 9, you can get the news you need on WNBF's First News with James Kelly and Kathy White. Get the latest information. On one station, News Radio WNBF. At Mass- News Radio 1290 WNBF. 10:40. Bob Joseph, WNBF. In case you missed our uh, program notes earlier, Patrick DeHaan, the Gas Buddy guy, will be joining us next hour. Talk with him at about 11:15. How low will gas prices go? Hopefully they'll go really low. I I hope they go down to 50 cents a gallon. Of course they're not. Come on, man. But anyway, I guess the gas prices have been uh, dropping lately. So we've heard, uh, according to some reliable sources, if you see um, really low gas prices, by all means... Um, tank up, tank up, and enjoy those low gas prices. Let's take a look at some stuff here from uh, the email. Oh, okay, here's... <laughs> I will try to answer that. Hmm. That's a good question. Every once in a while, people come up with good questions about the reporting process. In this particular uh, instance, the person doesn't want the issue to be discussed on the air at this time. But I might at some point address the issue on the air. But it's a good question. I'll try to at some point... Send, send a note. I'll send a note back. Um, oh, Gary also sent an email. He mentioned this on uh, during his call that he appreciated our conversation with the district attorney, Michael Korchak, with respect to the case uh, swirling around uh, Stephen Cornwell and James Warhotch. Oh, something to go with the... Um, Vestal Golden Bears says their athletes are are golden. Says our fall scholar athletes number two hundred three, with a combined average of ninety four point eight two. So congratulations to the athletes at Vestal High School. Not only are they good, but they're smart. Um, James from Binghamton writes, is there a proposed map to view for the new city districts available? I believe there is on the uh, City of Binghamton website. Let me do a quick check. The beautiful City of Binghamton website. Go to uh, the government section and then right under the column where it says elected officials there's city council and right beneath 
where it says City Council. Click on redistricting, which I have just done, and there is a fair amount of information. In fact, quite a bit of information. I see three draft maps are listed. I'm not looking at them now, but yeah, for all the relevant redistricting information you may need, go to the City of Binghamton website and under government and then under elected officials and city council, click on redistricting and there is plenty of info. It says every 10 years following the census, city council is required to pass a local law allowing for the reapportionment of city council districts to more closely reflect population changes and City Council will conduct meetings to inform the public, detail the process, receive and review proposed maps, and so on. A public input, including draft maps, are welcome to be submitted to uh, the city. There's an email address until the close of business on December 16th. So, I think I, not I think, I believe earlier I said um, after the City Council holds a public hearing on this tomorrow, that they conceivably could vote on the new district lines. Well, apparently that's not going to happen because it says on the city website, uh, public input will be accepted until the close of business on December 16th, which is good because now that gives us uh, some time to work with on this program and also gives um, other news organizations around here the radio and TV stations and the newspaper time to uh, put together at least a few stories to give you a sense of what's going on and kind of a sense of what the redistricting plans will look like. Let's go to the phones. Dale in Binghamton. Good morning. Morning, Bob. Um, nice rainy day. But, uh, yeah, I was talking about that crash down there off Frederick Street on the Brandwine Highway. And there's a one-way road going up Shenango Street with a, a, a light on there. And, uh, you know, the traffic is, is unimaginable. You know, it's just uh, you know, three-car crash and this and that. You know, all going up Brandywine Highway, get on Brewer Street and go around. It's just uh, 14 months. You know, they could have took the whole bridge down in 14 Well, they probably should have. They should have. They, um, you know, they still refuse to tell us how much, how many millions of dollars of our tax money. Take it down, let alone put it up. Yeah, well, I want to know how much they have spent since they built it. I, there are some questions. Yeah. First, they built it in 2013, so I want to know yeah. how much it cost to begin with nine years yeah. ago to build the thing and, and then I take take parts of it down and put it back up again when they were building it you know driving through there oh yeah and, no it was a disaster geez. from from the inception i did my first story about it being a problem in 2014 so yeah you know i've been doing stories on interstate traffic going across that bridge you know and all that weight and everything i, I couldn't understand someone that would uh put concrete underneath that bridge like that, you know, and have a sink. Well, the good news is the people, as always, the people responsible are always long gone before uh, 
before they can ever be held accountable. So we'll see what happens. Okay, keep an eye yeah, on it. Probably another country. <laughs> yeah, uh, under an under an assumed name. Keep an eye on it. Let me know if it sinks anymore. Okay, Bob. Thanks. Yeah, the sinking bridge, the incredible sinking bridge tonight at eleven. It's 1048. This is Bob Joseph. More calls coming up on our Tuesday program right here on WNBF. You wash your- Fifty-one, Bob Joseph live. Let's go back to the phones. Bob and Vestal, good morning. You're on the air. You started out the the hour playing my favorite artist of all time, Running Down a Dream, Tom Petty. And then you know how you ruined it? 119 miles an hour. Are you still joking about that? How many years ago was that? <laughs> Who knows? I mean, no, no. Let's put it this way: to the best of my knowledge, no judge and former district attorney in New York State has ever been clocked by state police going 119 miles an hour through Tioga County. We don't have anything more to worry about in this country. All right, so let me get to my. Okay, Matt Taibbi is more liberal than you. Now you people are turning on him, I see. All the liberals hate him. That guy, I used to see him in Rolling Stone magazine. He is the most left-wing. He hates Republicans. And now, just because he's doing the right thing, the liberals hate him. You see how this works? It makes me sick. Well, I don't hate him. I like him. Oh, yeah, you do. You're right. You're against him. Don't I you know? Um, say you know why you I like him, and I've always liked him. No, Matt, you don't, Mike, because his dad, Mike Taibbi, came to Binghamton, and he actually interviewed me right here in the studio. So that's why, after I I met his dad, because he came here to do a story for NBC Nightly News, Mike Taibbi, his father. I said, by the way, is Matt your son? He said, yeah. I said, oh, I like I like the stuff he writes for the Rolling Stones magazine well uh, he's doing the right thing yes of course he's doing the right thing yeah but how come you 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 mentioned him in a bad light i thought earlier no i i didn't maybe somebody else has matt well a lot of i mean all the liberals now people like like a pack of wolves as soon as somebody doesn't go with them anymore it's like it's amazing to me they can they loved elon musk oh he's gonna get rid of uh, gas burning cars. Well, sure. Greatest. Now they hate his guy. Oh, no. oh, please. Oh, Bob. Bob, 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 Bob. Nobody hates Elon Musk. And nobody hates Matt Taibbi. I think he's a great journalist. I encourage him to keep reporting and let us know what else he can find out. Don't stop, Matt Taibbi. Find out more. I'm anxious to learn. I'm Bob Joseph, live on News Radio WNBF. First, News Radio 1290 WNBF. 10:56. It's Bob Joseph at Studio 1290 doing a big dance on this Tuesday morning. 
your news needs, we highly recommend WNBF on air at 92.1 FM, 12.90 AM, and also available on the free WNBF app. After all, what other news talk station would play music like this? See what I'm saying? <laughs> I know you're saying, yes, good point, Bob. The news talk station with the very best music. Also, uh, for your journalistic needs, I encourage you to check our website, WNBF.com. Of course, uh, I contribute. Kathy White contributes. James Kelly contributes. And our other Town Square Media contributors here in Binghamton add their special perspectives at WNBF.com. It is, after all, where news breaks first. Look I'm Bob Joseph, live on your Tuesday morning. You're listening to News Radio WNBF Binghamton. It's 11 o'clock. Where news breaks first. News Radio 1290 WNBF. Here's Kathy White. Good morning. Another mild day for this time of year, but we do have some rain in the forecast. 70% chance of showers for today, but high temperatures into the upper 40s. And what could have made for a very long day for firefighters? The crews from close to a half dozen companies managed to contain a blaze at the New England Wood Pellet Factory at 1580 Airport Road in Deposit to just a small area of that sprawling facility. At about 2.55 a.m. today, Broome Emergency Services got a report that the facility that manufactures fuel for pellet stoves, barbecue grills, and other products from a blend of hardwood and softwood was on fire. According to Broome County Emergency Services Communications, the blaze was in the bag room, which they speculated was probably where the finished product of compressed, highly bonded wood products intended for burning would be stored in large quantities. About a half hour after the initial call, a second alarm was sounded, bringing additional fire units to the scene. The plant is situated just south of New York State Route 17, and there was a possibility of traffic impacted, but firefighters were able to quickly contain the blaze to just a single piece of equipment. There have been no reports of injuries. Firefighters from Deposit, Windsor, Hancock, Harpersville, and West Windsor all responded to the scene. The cause of that fire under investigation. One person is dead following a collision between a tractor trailer and a passenger van in Shenango County. New York State Police were called to the crash in the town of Columbus shortly after 11 a.m. on Monday and found that both vehicles had been traveling south on State Route 8 when the big rig was making a right turn onto County Route 25 and the van hit the rear of the trailer. A woman from Rome, New York, who was a passenger in the van was pronounced dead at the scene. A man from Lee Center, New York, who was driving the van was airlifted to Upstate Medical Center in Syracuse but did not not appear to have life-threatening injuries. The driver of the tractor trailer was not hurt. He was identified only as a man from Sherburne, New York. None of the names of those involved have been released. The crash is still under investigation. Former Broome County District Attorney Stephen Cornwell is being ordered to pay $5,000 in fines after pleading guilty to felony grand larceny. The 49-year-old Cornwell admitted he stole property on March 22, 2019 that included records of Broome County District Attorney cases. In addition to the fine, Judge Donald Sirio sentenced Cornwell to a three-year conditional discharge. 
Cornwell's license to practice law in New York State will be revoked because of the felony conviction. Cornwell's administrative assistant, 37-year-old James Warhatch, has pleaded guilty to misdemeanor criminal possession of stolen property. He admitted possessing the contents of a criminal case file belonging to the district attorney's office on November 13, 2020. Warhatch was sentenced to a one-year conditional discharge. He still faces several felony counts related to a second indictment filed by a Broome County grand jury in 2021. Bribery and fraud charges against former New York Lieutenant Governor Brian Benjamin have been thrown out by a federal judge. That just leaves Benjamin to face only records falsification charges. The charges that were left intact alleged that Benjamin knowingly made a false entry in a record with the intent to impede an investigation. Each of those carries a potential maximum prison sentence of 20 years. Prosecutors almost immediately said they were planning an appeal. Benjamin, the Democrat, resigned after his arrest last April. He pleaded not guilty to the charges, accusing him of obtaining campaign contributions from a real estate developer in exchange for pushing a $50,000 state grant fund to a nonprofit organization the developer controlled. An Owego teenager is charged with a felony for allegedly possessing child pornography. New York State Police say 19-year-old Aiden Wagner was arrested by the State Police Bureau of Criminal Investigation for felony possessing a sexual performance by a child. He was released in order to appear in a Wego Village court at a later date. This will be the first time since the program was started by Binghamton City School District Student Against Drunk Driving Chapter 29 years ago that a white light on the Katy Titus sad tree is being replaced with a red bulb. It marks a death due to drunk or distracted driving during the holiday season. The bulb notes the Thanksgiving morning death of 18-year-old Caden Abdullah in Vestal. The teen was a passenger in a car driven by a 17-year-old who is now facing a number of charges, including driving while ability impaired. The WMBF Twin Tiers forecast, 70% chance of showers today, a high in the upper 40s tonight, uh, 80% chance of showers and a low in the mid-40s. This is where news breaks first. News Radio 1290, WMBF, WMBF.com, and 92.1 FM. News Radio 1290, WMBF. Bob Joseph live on a Tuesday morning. Hope you love the program. Now, many people do. If you don't love the program, I guarantee if you listen for the next five years, you're going to really learn to love it. Nineteen miles an hour. <laughs> I can't say that anymore. So bothers people too much. So I hereby, I hereby pledge not to mention one hundred nineteen miles an hour anymore this morning. That is my vow. This is the last official reference to one hundred nineteen miles an hour because I know it's. It's frustrating for some people. 607-772-1290 is the number. If you'd like to participate, we welcome you. Um, coming up, 
in approximately five minutes, we'll hear from our Gas Buddy guy. Yes, he's the same Gas Buddy guy as seen on TV, as heard on the Internet, as read about in all the papers, the, the papers across America, the USA Today, and all that. Patrick DeHaan will join us and talk about uh, the delicious prospect of plunging petrol prices. How low can they go? One of my questions will be, and I'd love to put Patrick DeHaan on the spot because he's willing to be put on the spot. I'll ask him at some point, probably toward the end of our uh, segment. So what do you predict gas prices will be on January 1st? So in about four weeks or so, I'll ask him what he thinks the gas price in the Binghamton area will be as we start a brand new year. Gee, I hope. <laughs> I hope it's really cheap. Oh, Bob, you know it's not going to be really cheap. I see looking at uh, low gas prices right now, there's a place, 337, just a few minutes from here. Um, 349, there are a few places down to 349 now. So these are great prices. These are unheard of gas prices. Okay, they've been heard of before, but remember earlier this year when some of us were fearful that by Christmas time the gas price could be $10 a gallon? Well, surprise, that hasn't happened yet. So we'll check in with Patrick DeHaan to... Uh, understand what's going on in the global markets very complicated as he has explained no one person controls the price of gasoline so coming up next we'll talk with patrick dehan and get uh, a sense from him about where the prices are headed in the binghamton area so hopefully we'll have some encouraging news listening to bob joseph live on a tuesday morning on news radio wnbf 921 fm 1290 am and always available on the free wnbf app as you age Never-ending highway of life on News Radio WNBF. Bob Joseph on your Tuesday morning, and we welcome back to the program Patrick DeHaan from Gas Buddy and uh, a noted, noted petroleum uh, analyst. And it's always good to have you on. I know you're you're busy. I think in the last couple of years, you've been extremely busy because of the price roller coaster. So I, I'm grateful that you have a few minutes to talk with us here in Binghamton. Always, uh, always good to join you. I guess, uh, I guess gas prices are a little bit of job security nowadays, right? There's always something going on. 
Exactly. Who knows? At some point, maybe, Patrick DeHaan, you'll need an assistant because you have so many people calling in. And then when you aren't available, you know, I could be Patrick DeHaan's executive assistant with Gas Buddy. And then you would tell me the basic, you brief me for an interview. And then I, I would be sort of say, if, if you wanted a day off, you know, I still wouldn't be the almighty <laughs> Gas Buddy, but I would be a Gas Buddy in training. Well, hey, there you go. You know, uh, um, you know, you probably know way more beyond the uh, microphone than I do. I just stare at these numbers all day, and uh, I get to have a little bit of. And finally, it's good news, Bob. So now, now more than ever, um, finally, there's a little bit of hope here. I feel like most of the year it's been kind of pessimistic, depressing, and and now as we approach the holidays, uh, of course, now is as good as ever. That gas prices are finally declining. Now, maybe not so much in Binghamton, New York is. One of the states in the mid-Atlantic and northeast where refining capacity is just about always going to be an issue. But uh, there are some areas in New York, especially on some of the reserves, where prices are below $3. But the statewide average is three sixty-five. It's a little bit lower in Binghamton, but not a whole lot. And at the moment, I see a handful of stations in the Binghamton area are down to, to 349. There's actually one a bit west of Binghamton in Owego that is offering, I'm sure it's a cash price for 337. But those are definitely decent looking prices when you consider where we were several months ago. Yeah, exactly right. Um, you know, I'll try to be the optimist. My glass is half full, and and you know, it's it's been a a pretty dizzying year. Um, prices in New York peaked at five hundred one a gallon back in uh, mid June. Before they declined to four fifty three, that was back in early October, and then they went back up to about three eighty six in early November, and now since then we've been on the decline and. That's the good news is that um, I think for the next few weeks, uh, of course, I don't have a crystal ball. I don't think uh, anyone could make the argument they do. But over the next few weeks, so long as there's nothing that develops out of left field, uh, we'll probably see prices in New York go back below that that low we saw in early October, below 353. And you'll probably see uh, some stations uh, maybe 350 and 325 by Christmas in Binghamton if everything goes well. Well, that would be a nice gift. One thing that happened in our county, uh, where Binghamton is located, Broome County, had a six-month uh, cap on its local tax, or the tax above $3, and that six-month cap expired a few days ago on December 1st. And I thought, well, the way things go, they'll probably start using that as a reason to, to raise prices, but I have not seen that in Broome County. And the other thing that we're looking ahead at the end of this month, New York State's uh, tax holiday, where the, the state has uh, not been collecting about 16 cents since uh, June, that is scheduled to come to an end, and that could also potentially have some impact on prices in New York. Well, it, it could. If the gas tax holiday t uh, ended today, though, um, you wouldn't see prices go up. There may be a lot of people that scratch their head when they hear that. Uh, but there's a lot of things that impact the market at the same time, and Right now, at least, um, you know, typically gas stations have to raise prices, but because the wholesale price of gasoline has been declining so much, they wouldn't have to raise uh, prices right now if the gas tax holiday ended tomorrow. So 
that's good news. By the end of the month, it could be different. If wholesale prices start to trend up, then stations may not have the ability to absorb it. Um, but for now, uh, more falling prices. And not just for gasoline. I'm, I'm hearing uh, across the board and seeing the data, uh, falling diesel prices, falling heating oil prices as well. And so don't be in any rush to fill up, whether it's heating oil, gasoline, or diesel. Uh, prices should continue moderating here over the next few weeks and maybe longer than that. I'm still a little perplexed why at the moment we've we've seen uh, global crude prices trending downward. I still would have expected, given the fact that the war, Russia's war in Ukraine, drags on and there are serious concerns about uh, the energy supply in Europe, I, I figured that if anything, prices might stay stable, or even just because of speculation, that they, they would tend to be going up at this point. But it doesn't seem to be happening, at least not at this time. Well, and, and, and again, kind of rewinding to how much goes into it, and it's not always crystal clear if, if you know, man on the street, um, uh, there's a lot of factors to keep track of. Um, I mean, sometimes I do this full full time, and it's like, oh, there's a factor out in left field that you know, has been sitting there and kind of forgot about. Um, but in this case, um, as you mentioned, a lot of action between the EU and Russia and sanctions and price caps and all of that. Um, but I think a lot of that is largely uh, offset, at least for now, right? Nothing immediately changes with that price cap. Russia is still pumping oil and the EU is still buying some of it via pipeline, not seaborne. That's where the sanctions uh, the EU has on Russia hit. No seaborne oil shipments, but pipeline shipments. Um, but the biggest thing I think is, is left off the radar is the uh, COVID in China and the lockdowns there. People in China aren't moving. They're not consuming as much oil in the process, right? Americans, when we were locked down in 2020, look what happened to our prices because demand dried up. So China's kind of going through that now to the point there have been protests. People are very unhappy in China. And that may eventually loosen those COVID restrictions, that's going to be a concern moving forward because when China does reopen, just like here in the United States, when we reopen, there's going to be a level of pent up demand. People want to get back to their normal living. They want to go back, see things. They want to travel the country. So whenever China reopens, that could be a little bit problematic for consumption and drive prices up. But on the surface, nothing necessarily changes overnight with this price gap. Um, and and Russia is going to keep selling to countries like China and India. So uh, a price cap doesn't imperil the flow of oil, um, and that's what is worrisome. Anything that would imperil the flow of oil or anything that would have a great effect on, on consumption, like I mentioned, China's COVID. So those are the two real high-level high factors, and that's why prices aren't going up on, uh, as a result of, of a price cap or, or sanctions yet. It's something that could have a material effect down the line. A few days ago, the guy who is president of the American Petroleum Institute, Mike Summers, said uh, with the, in his view, the strategic petroleum reserve falling to dangerously low levels, the uh, situation ultimately could trigger another economically painful oil crisis. Is that likely? Well, at first, I like to put things in context. Uh, because a lot has been said in the media about how it's drained and, and this and that. So to put it in context, the SPR is still closer to full than it is to empty. So, yes, does it theoretically put us at more risk? Sure. Even if it was a million barrels below 
fall, right? It's, it's, even if it's a small decline, it still technically puts us more at risk. But the context is that the SPR is still closer to full than empty. Uh, it still has, you know, 380 million barrels of, of oil in it. Um, so uh, are we worse off? Well, potentially. Otherwise, this pool of oil just sits there. It hasn't been used to this degree ever. So, you know, arguably, when there are sanctions on a country that imperil the flow of oil, a strategic reserve, you know, I don't know if I agree with releasing it if it's necessary uh, or whatnot, but technically it's there because it's a, a strategic reserve. So, um, you know, I don't necessarily agree in context. I mean, if Russia were to go a much broader scale, if, if something would worsen there where they stop shipping oil, well, sure, then then the SPR having less oil than it should or could, then it does put us at greater risk. Uh, but again, what's worse, mitigating something that may not happen or trying to reduce oil prices for Americans that are spending millions more on oil uh, and gasoline and, and diesel every day? It's a tough call. One final question. When we started this year, the gas price uh, generally around here in Binghamton was about three forty-five a gallon. So looking ahead to New Year's Day 2023, using <laughs> all the available information you have at this moment, what do you think the, uh, the price in the Binghamton area will be um, on New Year's Day in, in less than four weeks? Well, I, I kind of saw this, and, and you know, hopefully we can keep this recording, and hopefully I won't be wrong, but uh, I think by the end of this year, um, you know, we should be below 345, maybe even a little bit below that. So I'm, I'm going to say the close to this year is going to be cheaper, lower prices than the close to 2021. Just for kicks, I'll put you on the spot. Give me, close your eyes and give me a number, what you think it might be. <laughs> it was, you'll say 344. But anyway, what... <laughs> hey, you're not under oath, and probably I'll lose the tape anyway. You know, if I had to say, I would guess that most stations in Binghamton by the end of the year, 325 to 340 a gallon. All right. For regular gas. The, the people of Binghamton love you, Patrick DeHaan. You're our gas buddy. We didn't like you so much several months ago, but now... Suddenly, your your stock in Binghamton is soaring. I, I do appreciate your uh, your being a good sport and offering your your uh, observations and and your opinions. And we'll certainly be talking with you uh, on occasion in in the coming year. I'll be here, Bob. Hopefully, you know what? Hopefully, the bets are under the three twenty five to three forty. Wouldn't wouldn't that be the best gift yet? Not just falling prices, but even lower than expected. It's possible. If if that happens, I. I will do a jig on Court Street with my my Santa cap. And we'll have to see that on social media, right? Because well, if it's not there, it didn't happen. That's right. And you know, we're about the clicks. And that, for better or worse, that'll generate a lot of clicks. But that, that explains a lot about our society and about the Internet. Patrick DeHaan, our gas buddy, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. 1128, Bob Joseph live on News Radio, WNBF 921 FM, 1290 AM, and streaming at WNBF.com. Hi.
just Well, it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby If you don't know by now And it ain't no use to sit and wonder why, baby It'll never do anyhow When your roosters are crowing At the break of dawn Look out your window And I'll be gone You're the reason why I'm traveling on But don't think twice, it's all right WNBF, WNBF.com at 11.32. Phone number, if you'd like to uh, call in and be a contestant, is 607-772-1290. That's right. Take caller number one. Don't have anything to give away, but still, if you want to be a contestant, call now, 607-772-1290, and I'll take caller number one. Beverly from the town of Dickinson. Good morning. Good morning. Um, well, the, the oil prices aren't going down. The Marabitals charging four eighty nine a gallon up to five twenty a gallon. Well, isn't that a little bit cheaper than it was a few weeks ago? Well, I don't know. I don't know, Bob. It seems to me that it could be. I mean, the gasoline prices are going down. How come the oil can't go down? Well. I hope it. I hope it does because a lot of people are having trouble even this early, and we're lucky. Count your uh, blessings. We've had mild weather over the last several weeks. I don't know. Uh, they'll, they'll lower your they'll lower your your budget plan, but they won't lower the oil. Well, they can't do anything about it. You know, Marabito doesn't control the price. Marabito has to buy oil on the market. And where they where they buy their oil is a lot more expensive than it was a year ago. Marabito has to buy oil. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's the, um, I haven't seen Joe Marabito lately, but I, I think if I run into him today, I'll ask him about it. But the... Uh, I suspect that they don't like these prices any more than their customers do. But it, it's a factor of, um, you know, the the global price, the way things are. Now, if trends continue, hopefully over the next month or so, you'll start to actually see a decline. I know many people say that gas and heating oil prices always seem to go up a lot faster then they go down, and that's probably true. Yeah, you know, you know when when my father was alive, he he paid sixty seven dollars a month for oil. Right, and the newspaper was three cents a day. Yep. So now, now look at it. Uh, let me consult my newspaper. Hold on. Here I go. My big beefy. Sun Bulletin. It's three fifty. So when your dad was paying whatever sixty-seven dollars a month for heating oil, the newspaper was three cents, or probably more like five or seven cents. So just be thankful that the price of heating oil hasn't gone up at the same rate that the price of your newspaper, or else you'd be paying probably about fifteen hundred dollars a month. 
So, uh, yeah, that's you see what cool. I'm saying? Or, or what about the price of of cable? The the guy that runs the cable company, he keeps raising rates. If if the guy who ran the cable company was in charge of of heating oil, I bet you'd be paying more, right? Probably. Well, so I'm not saying it's good. I'm not. I'm not trying to dissuade you from your opinion that heating oil prices are are very high. I'm just saying compared to some other things around here, um, you know, heating oil isn't isn't the uh, the thing that's gone up the most. Well, it seems like it is to me. Okay, well. I mean, it goes up faster than it does come down. Well, that's true. But at least sometimes heating oil and gas prices go down. The one thing I can tell you in the history of this newspaper here in Binghamton, regardless of what, what the cost of fuel is, their price never comes down. The only thing, same with my cable bill. Those two things, the newspaper and the cable bill, they only go away, uh, one way. And it's always up. And they also don't usually even tell you it's an increase. They call it an adjustment. So at least with gas prices, sometimes they do go down. And sometimes heating oil prices might come down. But you'll never see that with your cable bill or with your newspaper. No. How come they took it out of Binghamton? What, the newspaper? Yeah. Because they don't like Binghamton. Is that one of the reasons? Apparently. The only people left in Binghamton, the only the only great media empire left in Binghamton is WNBF. They all left. Uh, Channel 40, Channel 12, Channel 34. They're all gone. Nobody. Nobody is in the city of Binghamton anymore. Just me. You know what I think? I, I think the, the media doesn't want to be in, in Binghamton because of SantaCon. They don't want their building to be urinated on. The what? They don't want their media building to be urinated on or or to, to have to come in on a Monday morning and see uh, broken glass and smashed liquor bottles all around. That's why all the media uh, organizations apparently left the city of Binghamton because they don't, they don't like all these... Drunken parties all the time. Yeah, that's true. How do you think I like it coming in Monday morning with people? Well, I won't go into explicit detail. You can imagine what happens when you drink too much and eat too much. Well, the end result isn't something that's pretty, but at least the people at the newspaper or the people at the TV stations don't have to step over that. Something that's pretty, but. Yeah, I know, but it's it's sad that we had to lose our newspaper, though. Well, I agree, I agree. I still I still pay money for it, though, even though they print it somewhere. It's not even in Rochester; it's outside Rochester. So, you know, I what can you do? If it was up to me, I would say they they hire back those 100 people who used to work at the printing plant. In Johnson City, hire them back, fire it back up. Oh, they can't because they they took all the printing presses out and smashed them over at Weitzman's Scrapyard on the east side. Right. You know, oh, don't get me started. I'll, I'll stop right now. I was going to go into some sort of a rant, but that's, December is not the month for that. 50 years ago, 60 years ago, you used to go down... And, and stand in front of the press building 
and see them printing the newspaper, and you wave to the people, you know, the printers, you know, and, and uh, I don't know, people used to stand there, and they used to sing Christmas carols. Yeah, well, that's back when Gannett actually would employ professional printers, journalists, photographers, sports reporters, editors, circulation department people, and uh, sales staff. That's what they used to do. Now, not so much. Sports reporters? Yeah, I know, but I wish they'd come back. Well, they're not coming back, so that's the way it is. It's 1140. Bob Joseph at WNBF. Good morning. You're on the air. What's your first name? Where are you calling from? Hey, Bob. It's Jesse from Owego. Did you say price adjustment? Yes, price adjustment. Instead of a price increase, it's always a price adjustment. Well, that's kind of like the sleazy pass that's going up because they call that a price adjustment, too. As it yeah, should. Right? It hasn't gone up in in years. I think it's been over a decade since it went up. But here's the problem. They give themselves a 13% increase, and that was during the pandemic. And now all of a sudden they lay off, get rid of all these toll booth workers. And now they say, we need more money. What is going on? They need to fix the roads. The roads and bridges need to be fixed, and it's not going to be cheap. So they need more revenue to fix the crumbling infrastructure in New York. I'm trying to figure this out because I'm like, okay, who's going to pay in the end? Of course, you know, we all will. The same people who paid for fixing the sinking bridge on Shenango Street. You will and I will. But has it stopped sinking? I mean, I mean, uh, I how would we know? They're not going to tell us. But they put well, in some space-age monitoring equipment to measure how much more it sinks. But do you think they'll tell us how much it sinks? No, it's a state secret. They monitor it. They can tell from Albany from one hour to the next how much it's sinking because they have space-age equipment with lasers and even better stuff. So they can tell from Albany or anywhere else on the planet. They just log in and find out how much more it sank since yesterday. But will they tell us? No. Well, of course not, you know. Uh, what, What was that song? And when we get behind closed doors. That's exactly right. That's my point. They don't trust us. We can handle the truth. Just tell us how. They they still won't even tell us since the, the bridge was built in 2013. They won't tell us how much it sank between 2013 and 2022. Why the secret? It's our bridge. Let us know how much it sank. Bob, you are never going to get a crystal clear answer on that. You just I know. It doesn't mean I can't can't talk about it. No, I know. I don't expect I don't expect to to get a full answer or even a partial answer. That doesn't mean that the issue should be dropped. No, I'll I'll bring it up whenever I think about it. If, if Kathy Hochul were to come in here right now, Jesse. I would ask her, the first question would be, Governor Hochul, will you tell us how much money we have spent on that bridge since it was built in 2013? The original cost, the cost of monitoring, it's sinking over the next 
seven years, and then the cost of trying to fix it to keep it from sinking. Because the problem with that bridge, if it kept sinking that way, soon the only people who could get under there would be people in a clown car. I think the only way we could get through this, Bob, is if we all became clairvoyant. But I don't, I don't see that in my path of life. One never knows, though. Life can take some surprising twists, so never say never. It gets better every day. I can at least say that. I'm always on the positive approach. That's the way I look at it. I think and it's but, life Life is like this show, better every day. Hey, uh, by the way, I thought that Janine Pirro was actually clocked at 129 miles an hour. And they dropped it down to 119 just to give her a less of a fine. Who knows? There's another person who will never tell the truth. That's all right. He's still our buddy. Yeah, if um, if Janine Pirro wants to get back on my good side, she has to call in and um, answer my questions about what, what transpired on that fateful Sunday afternoon in the town of Nichols near Jeff Garal's place. I, I imagine even, I'm serious, I bet even Jeff Garal is steamed that she was driving past his place there, the Tioga Downs, without stopping by. She was speeding, according to state police, using high-tech radar. They said they clocked her at 119 miles an hour going past Jeff Garal's beautiful Tioga Downs. Now, what does that wow. say to the people of Tioga County? She was in such a hurry to get out of Tioga County that she was speeding on Route 17. Well, maybe that's why the DOT had to go around all these highways, and they had to reshape all of the all of the hills and stuff and things like that, so cars wouldn't get whacked out because of people like her that can come through and they can drive by safely. Yeah. Well, it is a pity. Appreciate it. That's the report from Owego, making contemporary news. More calls coming up, 607-772-1290. I'm Bob Joseph on WNBF. You wash your hands. Since we were nine or ten Together we've climbed hills and trees Learned of love and ABC Skinned our hearts and skinned our knees Goodbye my friend, it's hard to die 11.48 at News Radio WNBF Wait a second, that's... That's not right. It's now that winter's in the air. <laughs> oh, my goodness. We do have our fun here at News Radio, WNBF and WNBF.com. Now, here's something I just noticed. The um, guy who still works at CBS. Remember Jeff Glore? He was on CBS Evening News uh, about five years ago. In fact, it was five years ago today that we talked with Jeff Glore on this program 
December 6, 2017. That's when he was riding high. He was the anchor of the CBS Evening News. Ultimately, he didn't last long in that position, but he still works for CBS, and you can see him on weekends on Saturday morning. But let's listen to a WNBF time capsule just a little bit from uh, exactly five years ago today, December 6, 2017, when the one and only Jeff Glore called into the program to talk a bit about working in journalism. I'm Bob Joseph, a pleasure to welcome to the program the new anchor of the CBS Evening News, Jeff Glore. Good morning. Hey, Bob. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Well, a pleasure indeed, and uh, let me be the latest probably out of thousands of people to congratulate you. Thank you so much. Thank you. What have the last couple of days been like? I, I've uh, monitored the first two uh, CBS Evening News broadcasts that you've anchored. Uh, I like the look. I like the pacing. Um, what's it been like for you to uh, take over as the, um, the face of this legendary broadcast? It's been a little bit of a whirlwind, as you might imagine. So, um, but we're I'm just trying to take story by story and meeting by meeting and 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 discussion by discussion and <clears throat> and move forward as best we can. Um, the, the CBS News is an organization that means a whole lot to me. It has for a long, long time. I've been a student of it. Um, I feel really lucky to to play uh, any role I can <laughs> in its future. Um, and so I'm, it, it's, it's been exciting to get started here. We had sort of a short runway to, to launch between the announcement and when I, I took over. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we're doing this now in, you know, instead of early next year or, or middle of next year. Well, must must have been tough also waiting. I mean, the excitement and anticipation after the uh, final decision was made by the, the top people at CBS News. And on the one hand, I can see where, you know, from, from the moment that they made the choice and said, Jeff Glory, you are the, the person who will be the next anchor of the CBS Evening News. On the one hand, I could see, uh, say, if they told you that at, at, at 6 o'clock one night, you'd want to say, Okay, yeah, I, I, yeah. I know where the studio is, and I'm, I'm ready to go. On the other hand, I can see where, well, let's take this slow and, and gradual. Yeah, when I, and I would have been happy to do that had they said it that way. The toughest part was the waiting between, uh, you know, finding out and then the announcements. And so there was a period there where, you know, you want to talk to a whole lot of people, and you just can't. Yeah, I understand that there there was a, a a bit of a waiting period, and you were able to confide in, uh, I'm I'm sure your wife and and your parents, but not many other people beyond them. Yeah, my parents. That's right. My parents. <laughs> so my parents are uh, no longer together. They're in very good terms. My my mo- the, my mother's in Buffalo. My father's in Indianapolis. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> after I called them, I only found out a day or two later that they had called each other because they couldn't talk about it with anybody else. So it was sort of a funny story. But how much time elapsed from the official decision from from the time that you knew you would be the the next anchor to the time that CBS News made the formal announcement? It was like two or three weeks. 
that had to be that would be tough. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I would be exploding. I mean, it's one of the, the most coveted jobs in journalism, and to not be able to to share that with with anybody beyond um, the your most closest relatives. Yeah, no, well, it was. There's no doubt about it. But it's one of those things, like, you know, if you're gonna, if you have to keep a secret, and you, you know, it, it's better to keep a good secret, I guess, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, many of our listeners know from from having heard the coverage in the last few weeks that that you grew up in Western New York. You're uh, a native of the, the town of Tonawanda, Tonawanda, outside Buffalo. Uh, let's talk a, a bit about your early years. At, at what point did you? start to take an active interest in the news my first job was delivering newspapers the buffalo news and so i always couldn't wait until the newspaper arrived i was also a big sports kid so i couldn't wait to check the box scores and and so i was i watched a lot a decent amount of news growing up the local cbs affiliate and the cbs evening news I initially went to school as a pre-dentistry major because my grandfather and uncle are both dentists in the town of Tonawanda, and I wasn't sure what I wanted to do when I went to Syracuse, and so I checked down the box for you know, doing that, and I took my first chemistry course and decided that that was not going to work, and I transferred into the journalism school while still maintaining a, 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 my dual major was ended up being economics. Um, my parents, I think, will... We'll, we'll probably tell you that they always thought I would do this, um, and you know they know best. <laughs> so um, I, maybe that's right. But um, I didn't. I didn't really start sort of bearing down until my senior year. I mean, I, I worked hard, but I was there were a number of different professions I was considering, and then I did an internship at um, a local station in Syracuse. I did an internship at WBNG in Binghamton. And, and then I got a job as a writer at the station in Syracuse and sort of went from there. And I know from your uh, chat with uh, Howard Manges from WBNG, you recalled uh, with him how, how certainly the technology, even though it wasn't that long ago, but, but technologically speaking, the, the, the equipment that TV journalists were, were using at the time is, is uh, completely different from from what people are, are able to use now in the field. Yes. So I was, while everyone else was enjoying their senior year, which I probably should have done more, I would drive down to WBNG on late on Friday night or very early on Saturday morning and then work all weekend, you know, out in the field as, as a reporter, producer, cameraman, all of that, and gathering elements for the weekend broadcasts um, anchored by Lisa Champeau at the time and I would you know so it was the three-quarter tapes and you know it was, it was a lot of gear you know everybody everybody can take a picture with an iPhone these days um, back then it was you know they'd have a hip pack on you which was the you know what, what held the actual videotape and then there's a power button and then there's a camera itself it was <laughs> it, it kept me uh, it kept me in shape did you ever do anything on camera for Channel 12 during your uh, internship in Binghamton? No, I used to um I used to go in very early on Sunday mornings. I would try before my shift started and I would try to record stuff in the studio there and you know, I would bring the guys 
uh, coffee and donuts and whatever else to try to get them to help me with that. Some memories with Jeff Glore. That was exactly five years ago. He was anchoring the CBS Evening News. Now you can see him on CBS on Saturday morning. WNBF News Time 1157. I'm Bob Joseph on News Radio WNBF. Mission accomplished. This is Bob Joseph thanking you for joining us this morning. I'll be back tomorrow morning right here on News Radio WNBF Binghamton and WNBF.com.